0: Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform.
1: Welcome to episode number five. My name is Michael Howard, and with me this week I have Mark Simos, Sarah Young, and Gladys Rodriguez. We have a special guest, David Sanchez, who is a cloud security architect and a global black belt. But before we get on to our interview with David, let's uh, take a quick run around the news. Quite a few things have happened in the last couple of weeks around uh, various products within within Azure. One of the first ones is the Azure Front Door service has a web application firewall, and we've now added the ability to log more information about why a rule may have failed. Uh, so for example, let's say you've got a SQL injection rule, uh, and all of a sudden a request comes in and is blocked. Rather than just saying, "Hey, you know, here's, this request was blocked," it will actually show you the part of the the input that led to the rejection of that request. Uh, rather than just giving you, you know, the request, it actually tells you why it failed, which is really nice because I've spent countless hours pouring through log files over the years trying to work out exactly why something failed. So this will certainly help uh, help speed things up substantially. Another one is Postgres SQL. Uh, they've now just gone into private preview with data encryption for data at rest with customer managed keys. One that really caught my eye this week was Azure Monitor also had a customer managed key support. If you have your your logs that you use as part of Azure Monitor, uh, those logs you know, can often contain sensitive information. And now we have the ability, again, it's in preview, uh, we have the ability to encrypt that data with uh, with customer managed keys.
2: Things that caught my eye. The well, first one is uh, also related to uh, Azure Monitor updates uh, with uh, private link support. Um, and this is something that's essentially being adopted um, throughout the service catalog to make sure that we have uh, private link support for all the services. And what this does is um, allows you to put an IP for your instance of the Azure services on your own subnets and then kind of control routing to it so that you can uh, treat it like it's in uh, sort of an internal or intranet type of service. And then the other thing is actually some uh, pretty big news from a cybersecurity perspective, which is uh, we just uh, Microsoft just bought a company called CyberX. You know, I mean, we've been working on IoT security for a while. Not, not necessarily everybody noticed that. Um, and we're really trying to simplify IoT itself, and we want to make uh, IoT security easy. Is kind of like our, our mission in this space, and kind of a seamless part of of, of security overall. You know, monitoring, protection, policy, you name it. Um, that's sort of our long-term ambition. And um, you know, we've already had some stuff in the IoT space with Azure Security Center monitoring for IoT. Um, Azure Sphere provides a great secure um, OS and chipset and pretty much like a package of a secure device that you can then uh, develop a solution on top of a secure IoT solution. Um, very much based and in fact, deliberately designed around the seven uh, properties of, um, of a highly secure device, you know, learnings from Xbox, etc. But, you know, these were, I wouldn't say point solutions, but they only addressed a small percentage of the problem. And so the thing that I, th- I think is exciting about the CyberX piece is it allows us as Microsoft to really get into the full life cycle of helping secure IoT, great discovery capabilities, and then you know some more pieces that we can then integrate within Azure Sentinel and some of our other tools. Um, so it looks like it's going to be a very exciting acquisition, um, and uh, we're going to see if we can get someone on for a dedicated podcast um, episode in the future. Um, but you know they they do things to help you protect your existing uh operational technology or industrial iot and really kind of solve that computers controlling physical things uh space so uh, really psyched about that uh, of course we're not leaving our partners behind um big thing there is you know much like we have our own sim but we still actively integrate with you know splunk and, and arcsite and all the third-party sims as well you know we're, we're going to play very well with the uh, with the others in that space so yeah that's that's big stuff from my side
3: Yeah, so I think it's my turn to say what I found interesting this week. To kick us off, I want to talk about public preview for Azure Monitor for VMs with Arc. So I talk about Azure Monitor a lot, kind of one of my favorite things. But now um, you can actually use Azure Monitor with VMs that got Azure Arc enabled. So Azure Arc is basically a way of managing VMs that are both within Azure, but also outside. Um, And now you can also onboard these things into Azure Monitor to get more insights into the Arc management side of things, which I think is very cool. Azure Arc was only announced at Ignite last year. So I would expect to see pretty big expansion of uh, the feature set and the capabilities as it develops. But I think this is a pretty exciting announcement. Uh, And then keeping with Azure Arc, We've also got public preview for um, monitoring Kubernetes clusters, which have been hosted on VMs with that have Azure Arc. So again, if you're, um, so this isn't AKS. This is actually if you've got your own Kubernetes cluster running on VMs um, and you're managing the whole thing yourself. uh, We can now um, actually. Use Azure Monitor for containers to be able to uh, monitor that and get some insights. So, um, whether it's just going into log analytics or um, ultimately rolling up to Sentinel or something else, um, you'll be able to do that now if you're running your own Kubernetes cluster from scratch, which is also very cool. And then, keeping with the Kubernetes, um, if there's a lot of Azure Monitor for containers. There's Uh, We can also now do Azure Monitor for AKS Windows node pools. Uh, We did talk about this a few podcasts ago, but for those of you not um, so familiar with containers and Kubernetes, essentially containers were always Linux maybe until about a year ago, whereas now um, we do have Windows containers as well. And Windows containers are still pretty new, but now we've extended the Azure Monitor support to be able to collect logs from Windows containers if you happen to be using them. The last thing I wanted to talk about, um, and I should have mentioned this a few podcasts ago and I forgot, um, we're actually running at the moment um, an Azure Sentinel hackathon. Um, uh, We'll put the links in the show notes, but essentially, if anybody out there is creating their own Sentinel collateral, whether it be detections, workbooks, playbooks, or anything cool around Sentinel, uh, we're actually running this hackathon. It finishes on the 1st of July Pacific time, US Pacific time. So you've got about a week to go uh, if you haven't already uh, signed up for it. And um, essentially, um, if you submit your collateral, it's going to be judged by some very cool people in Microsoft. So uh, by Ann Johnson, um, who's one of our um, CVPs um, and some of our top threat people. And there are like cool cash prizes to be won. So if anyone out there has made their own Sentinel collateral and wants to uh, submit it to the competition, you've got about a week to do so. So so get on to it.
4: I have to say that I'm I'm a little bit jealous of all of you. I haven't been doing that much uh, these past few weeks. I tested positive for COVID. uh, It was a little bit weird. First, I had a headache. Then I I had body aches, but I was moving furniture. So I thought it it was that. And then I got tired and I I went to sleep uh, for a few days. the interesting thing about this is that once I went testing for um, COVID, the county called me to ask me a lot of different questions. Where have I been the last two weeks? Who I was with, name, phone number. And it was interesting to think how are they safeguarding this information? How are they sharing it? With who they're sharing it? So these are questions that came up to my mind. Especially since uh, all this COVID uh, happened, organizations have tried to react uh, really quickly, but uh, not often they put all the security precautions. Uh, it tends to be an afterthought. So I wonder uh, what they're gonna do with my data. Before that, the week before I got tested, I actually had a presentation with Andrew Harris, uh, Steven Ingersky and David Phillips and we were talking about zero trust and SOC modernization in a SOLSEC meeting. This uh, SOLSEC meeting is a consumption of business owners and business that are doing work with the Department of Defense. And what we were trying was to focus about the partners' opportunities that are available for zero trust and SOC modernization. We were talking about how Vendors can use the GRASS security API to interconnect solutions and enable different capabilities within their products. We were talking about how they could uh, help customers uh, interconnect to the environment. Uh, it, other opportunities including outsourcing of analyst uh, type of work, since our tools provide the capability to provide that type of service. So other than that, I I haven't done much more.
1: Thanks, Gladys. It's great to have you back. So let's now move on to uh, our interview with uh, with David Sanchez. As I mentioned, David is a cloud security architect uh, and a global black belt. So with that, David, do you want to give us a, a brief overview of yourself and what you do at Microsoft?
0: Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me here. So my my role in Microsoft is a cloud security architect, global black belt within the cyber security solutions group. So essentially I'm working with customers um, based on my time zone in in EMEA, helping them to move to the cloud securely, effectively, and and basically making the best out of the the cloud security native tools that we have in in Azure. That's really really my, my role, responsibility.
3: David, I have to ask you, uh, because I was asked this many times, why in Microsoft do we say global black belt?
0: (laughs) Yeah, thanks for the question, Zara. So we have in Microsoft, in Azure, some specific technical specialty roles. Like in my case, uh, my role is a GBB, a global black belt. And that means that you are basically, you know, helping customers to architect some specific workload environments. In my case, uh, which is the cyber security group, that means that, you know, we work with customers on some specific cloud security controls and, and tools that we have so they can make the best use out of them, right? So... Essentially, we have GBB roles for uh for the advanced security architecture in Azure. Like for example, when they have to architect uh, their Azure Security Center, their Azure WAFs, firewalls, firewall managers, um, edge services in Azure, those can be very technical deep type of engagement. So we have those technical specialist roles, and we also have them for um Azure Advanced Analytics, where these roles they are. Helping customers to you know to use those uh, threat protection analytics tools that we have by using Azure Sentinel, by using Microsoft threat protection, Azure ATP, and so on, right? So, and we have more as well in in the CAG group, like for example the the, the GBV role for um for compliance and. But it's not only on the CSG group, right? I mean, in, in Azure, we also have GBB roles to, you know, to, to help customers getting SAP, for example, in Azure, uh, with some specific um, um, HPC, uh, supercomputing environments in Azure uh, for microservices as well. So they are always very technical, deep type of engagement and very specific to, to certain workloads. Hey David, uh, I'm kind of curious. Like in
2: the customer conversations that
0: you have, because you've been doing this
2: for you know, a number of years now. I mean, I'm curious. Like, what's sort of like top of mind now, and and how's that different than you know the conversations from six months, a year, or more ago? I'm I'm curious, you know, what what you're seeing now and what's shifting.
0: Essentially, the the trend to move to past services is 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 growing. I mean, we saw that a few a year ago as well but now because of the use of microservices because of the use of containers uh, kubernetes are a much more mature product or a framework in in the cloud and you can use now built-in security controls to to manage the post environment of those uh, workloads mm. then there is definitely a more heavy approach to leverage those those past services right I'm, because I think customers, they are now. And I, when you say past like,
2: services, you're you're talking like Azure SQL, Functions, you know, the containers, like yeah. pretty much all everything but a VM, right?
0: Yeah, and and all those past services, they are getting more and more integrated within within the the customer tenant, right? Because those past services, by design, they've been always multi-tenant, right? And there's been always the constraint about. How do you access those past services securely, privately, without having to break out to the internet? And we are seeing a lot of new innovations around, you know, bringing those paths through private link, private endpoints as well. That's really helping customers uh, use those past services uh, more effectively. Are you seeing anything around like infrastructure as code? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. it's um, yeah, typically for infrastructure as code, we we typically see like, hey, do you, how do you manage VM creation, all the VM policy? How do you manage your network, your DNS? But also we are seeing customers that they want to manage threat analytics as code, right? Like, like for example, if you want to deploy Sentinel across multiple environments, you don't want to be kind of like deploying the same again and again, right? You want to automate, mm-hmm. right? So we have some interesting solutions to use CI, CD tooling, like for example, Azure DevOps, to manage those uh, those queries, those analytics, uh, queries that you have in Sentinel. So basically, you are automating, you are treating your uh, security IP as code, as part of your um, application lifecycle, as you would do in, um, hmm. in a CI, CD tool. And that's cool. So
2: not only securing the DevOps world, but also applying DevOps to security.
0: Yeah, and that's the whole thing about shifting left, the, the DevSecOps talk, which, which is pretty common as well these days.
2: kind of curious, like, you know, especially in, in light of what uh, Gladys was mentioning earlier, you know, with the whole COVID thing and, you know, people being stuck at home and not, uh, in, you know, essentially, you know, working remotely for everything they do over the past couple of months, are you seeing sort of shifts in people's Azure usage and kind of what they ask for, how much they use it? or
0: yeah definitely. Um, the fact now that we are not meeting customers face to face, we are all working from home, and every customer is using their own remote type of collaboration tools with teams, things get much quite easy, right? But we still have customers that they they still have to use VPN to get access even to collaboration tools or when they are on a on a collaboration tool on on the voice. They, all that traffic is going through VPNs and you can hear your your peer on the other side that you know sometimes the quality is not great and and I, I was asking like are you guys routing all that traffic through VPN and, and yeah that's the case <laughs> so yeah I mean it's it's a little bit crazy I mean VPN we we see that as, as a legacy because it's a huge bottleneck and and the fact is that those companies they never design, those VPN appliances for um, 100% of their workforce uh, mm. working from home. So, so the, yeah, I mean, the, the quick wins for uh, for us here is, you know, like leveraging access management Azure AD as as a control plane. You know, exposing your on-prem collaboration, any kind of business app that you may want to expose using Azure AD as your uh, control plane, so you don't have to rely on the VPN, right? And actually this scales massively, there is no single point of failure and, and that's essentially how you apply your uh, your conditional access policy, your zero trust. So it does definitely helping customers to, to scale in this situation where they are all working from, from home.
4: David, uh, what are the top questions that you have had recently from customers? Let me think about it. Um, Scaling up because
0: of some of the customers or partners that we work for the last couple of months, they had to move or to scale an app. Like for example, all these applications that maybe they de- deploy through Power Apps or maybe they deploy their own app. You think about maybe they those apps they are offered to citizens basically to for them to register uh, so they can you know show to the to the authorities when they need to get into a public uh, building like they are healthy. Right, so they they are no, uh, they've been they haven't been under COVID and they are not basically in the, the virus. So so those apps they've been deployed in some cases as SaaS resources and and then it's kind of like legacy, but you have to you have to scale that uh, properly. And and we've seen we've seen customers like having some key questions about. You're thinking like, for example, those apps, they can be auto-scaled infinitively because it's cloud, right? Or like, for example, if you put a WAF in front uh, because that application, because it's citizen-related, is going to have some PII, then you need to have some sort of uh, layers and protection with a WAF. And we saw some cases that uh, because they were offered to the, to the whole country population, they massively uh, spiked and and yeah, I mean, and the questions from the customer were like, ah, we thought that this was kind of like an auto scale cloud is almost infinite compute. Why do I need now to look at my 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 global load balancing, for example, right? So helping the customer, you know, move away from um, from the single point of load balancing to a more distributed concept for application delivery using global uh, traffic manager using uh, um, Azure front door. Moving the customer away of you know of, of the vnet of of that central you know network uh, segment into more like a distributed uh, application at the edge where you can apply policy effectively and more and it's more, much more scalable as well. So that's been quite tricky in in the last couple of months and and also about containers. Containers is always coming. So we we we've seen customers as well uh, trying to to understand how to get the best post you manage about and threat detection as well about containers and Kubernetes. Um, we still see crypto miners being you know running on, on those Kubernetes environments because those are not properly locked down. So yeah, we've seen a couple of those cases and and this is top of mind for some of our customers. I
1: think we would all agree that one of the biggest changes in the last few years has probably been networking in Azure. I think networking five years ago is radically different. I mean, not radically different, but there's been big changes. Uh, how do you see customers reacting to the likes of private link and private endpoints?
0: I think we are having a really good move and, and usage of those services. I think they are really solving specific use case, you know. Because of the fact that our past services, they were by design exposed to public API, so they can be exposed as a collaborative approach with DevOps. You know, customers, based on compliance, based on some regulatory frameworks, they need to secure those access. So they, they are taking a really good use. And customers, they are always trying to monitor the traffic. I, I remember I had a customer asking, like they were, having, they were using a lot of network watcher and they were really using it to troubleshooting the network through network watcher to make sure that the traffic was going to the private link of the past service, right? So that's a really good use of network watcher as a, as a network traffic analysis tool, right? So you want to make sure that your traffic is hitting that private endpoint and it's not going out. And you agree with uh, your compliance and, and all that.
2: I'm kind of curious, like you know, I know network security is like a familiar topic for most folks. Um, and, and a lot of the cloud stuff is new. You know, what would you think are kind of the most confusing parts of moving to the cloud? You know, for most security folks that are you know kind of of a typical skill set and experience. You know, I mean, what what kind of trips them up when they try to go to PaaS? Like, what are the things that people should be thinking about learning and and getting their head around so that they can kind of better adjust to the the slightly different terrain of the cloud?
0: So network, again, network in the cloud, whether you are running on a on an IaaS environment or on a PaaS environment, it may pose a quite interesting conversation with the customer based on the shared responsibility model. And that's something. Sometimes, which is not very clear, right? Uh, or may, they may assume it's different. Or like, for example, when you run on IaaS, everything is pretty much similar the way as you've run it for the last couple of years on, on a traditional network, uh, on, a, on a data center, right? You are responsible for the network. You have to run your, your firewalls, your waps You own the network. But if you are on a PaaS environment, you are still responsible for locking down the access as well. And that's typically, uh, you know, posing a, a conversation, a challenge uh, with with customers. They still own some sort of responsibility on the network stack in in the cloud. Yeah, you mentioned the shared responsibility model. I mean is that something that people are sort
2: of adjusting to and getting or is it something that you know people kind of forgot about or never really learned about I'm I'm curious where where customers are at and what what organizations are are at on you know sort of really kind of operationalizing that and making it part of their day to day
0: No I think customers they they're definitely getting they see they see the model they see the boundaries between customer responsibility and cloud provider as we bring more past services, I think they they get the concept whether those are data bricks, Kubernetes, there's always the fact that Microsoft is gonna be responsible for um, the cluster. And then the customer is gonna own those, those nodes, those pools where they are running their own apps, right? So there's always a delineation between both worlds. And I think they get it. I remember when I started in the cloud, I, I saw more kind of confusions about that, but I think it's getting it's getting more clear and and people are accepting the, the the fact that the the cloud provider is putting more and more controls on their side. It sounds like the past thing is uh, there's a bunch of details
2: that are still kind of being figured out and people getting used to. Because I know in my conversations, that's that's the stuff that I see that people get tripped up on is. Exactly, where does the line change when you have like a pass service versus a PaaS app kind of thing? On the subject of everybody's favorite topic, attacks. Like, what are the the kind of attacks that that you're seeing, that your customers are seeing, that they're asking you about? Like, what what sort of top of mind and sort of the, the the threat dashboard?
0: We see uh, usual suspects, and you know when you are deploying databases and and these kind of APIs, like protecting APIs. Um, some APIs they, they don't probably have the right, you know, lockdown or um, or protection through through API security, API gateways as you wanna call it. Mm-hmm. So this is a very specific and constant growing discussion with uh, with and uh, with application owners. Same as bots as well. These are not I'm not gonna call it like incidents, but we know like for example, I don't know, like what percentage is these days out of bot traffic in you know, the internet? But it is very high and it's constantly growing, right? So bot management as well is is typically um, a problem, and especially for a uh, big e-commerce customers. Um, and you're we, talking we, like chatbots, like legitimate, right? Not um, not botnets. Kind of like crawlers, web scrapers. They are getting all your pricing lists out of your website. Mm. So, airline, bot, bot management, for example, for airline is is, is huge, yeah. because we all, well, no, but we, we tend to use third party sites to compare pricing between airlines, so they are constantly scrapped. But also mm. like e-commerce, when they sell online, bots, they can basically hook, you know, the, the most of your stock, and then when I want to buy something, legitimately. I don't find anything because it's been everything is out of stock. So, so yeah, legitimate bots, crawlers, they pose a problem today.
2: And are you seeing like a lot of sort of attacker innovation, or is it sort of more like just going after the old-fashioned hygiene stuff that's been with us for years and decades?
0: We see quite a lot of the good old stuff, like uh, things <laughs> that you know, like like a kid can run from from home using a laptop, like for example, DDoS, right? DDoS is is a numbers game, right? It's commodity, but the fact that it can be easily amplified and now we have seen some crazy numbers about terabytes of DDoS. Yeah, Mm. that's, I mean, that's really the challenge. How do you cope with that? So the new things that we see now these days, um, we saw some interesting attack or incident pattern with containers and Kubernetes yeah. using um, some machine learning models, for example, Kubeflow. So there is a very interesting paper that we, uh, I'm going to name the, the, the person for his credit, uh, Yossi Weisman. He's uh, from our Microsoft research and security team in Israel. So these guys, they basically discovered that Kubeflow, which is a machine learning model using AKS. Basically, if you really if you need to run rich analytic uh, services on your Kubernetes, then you you run ML models and Kubeflow is an open source uh, framework. So basically, um, they managed to compromise those uh, Kubeflow's uh, environments uh, because they didn't really have a good lockdown through our back. And they went to compromise a node in AKS and run a crypto miner. I'm nothing. I mean, there is no there is no PII which is exposed. But they are just getting free compute. <laughs> and which is not free to the uh, to the organization you know,
2: that got attacked, of course.
0: And and in some cases we we, we saw a customer. I'm not going to say the name for sure, but that the way that they try to you know to block it. Um, you know, they they try to basically get access to the node to to troubleshoot and. And they also tried to cut the access to the to the nodes uh, from the adversary. They, they, they were putting like some specific energies to block the traffic. So the adversary traffic was basically blocked from the energy, but also that blocked the whole traffic going to the control plane of Kubernetes. And that made the Kubernetes nodes not available. And it was very tragic uh, because they, they had to do all sorts of things to get all the AKS environment up and running. So, you know, something like, a crypto miner can have um, a nasty impact as well in some other services uh, if they if they also run on top of that environment.
2: Yeah, and it also calls into uh, it calls into the need of not not just updating your detections and your logs and your preventive controls, but also your response processes for these past services so that, you know, you're not accidentally shooting yourself in the foot, making the problem worse, you know, making the cure worse than the disease. So,
0: yeah, there's definitely a lesson in there for that one. And there is the belief like Kubernetes, it's a huge, complex environment. Uh, Obviously, you have to run it on your own. Definitely, yes. If you run it on, on the cloud, then Azure takes responsibility of the cluster and the whole management. And there's also the thought that threat detection in Kubernetes can be difficult. But using Azure Security Center, some specific built-in rules for threat detection in those environments. And so that certainly helps to get the right posture.
1: Uh, I just have one question for you, uh, David. If you had to tell someone who's moving to Azure for the first time or looking at moving workloads to Azure, what would be the one bit of advice you would give them? And you're only allowed one.
0: We always say, so the governance piece is critical. Uh, there are a lot of critical things when you have to move to the cloud, right? A lot of different controls I have to put in place, a lot of different use cases, but really getting the governance piece right at the beginning is going to solve you a lot of headaches in, in the long term, like putting the right policy, having a good model of isolation as well based on your risk profile, how you are segmenting, segregating your subscriptions, um, how you are running policy, are you going to... You know make a a good decision whether you want to apply policy centrally or more distributively as well. but I think the governance piece is, is really uh, among all the things that you have to worry about. They need to to have a really good process on on that governance for uh especially for security, right, but for also for data resiliency and and for all sort of aspects. But for security definitely is, is very key.
1: Yeah, I see a lot of customers spend a great deal of time focusing on the governance aspects, not just from a pure security standpoint, but also from a compliance standpoint as well. And often that can manifest itself as, like you say, as your policy, um, as your blueprints bubbling up into, say, as your security center with the security score, wholeheartedly agree. With that, let's bring this to an end. David, thank you so much for uh, for turning up and answering our questions. It's always good to have someone on a podcast like this who's very customer-focused rather than just looking purely at the technology. So with that, I'll bring it to an end, and thank you so much for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixer.org and licensed
1: under the Creative Commons License.